Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. I just finished teaching a screwball and romantic comedy film class, and before I know it, in about two weeks or so, I'll be teaching a new uh, batch of classes, so that is always fun. I'll see how the pandemic goes, whether we'll be masked or fully back in person. I mean, it's going to be in person as of right now, but I feel like the world might get really bad in the next few months, but I'm looking forward to teaching my film classes any way that I have to. And we are going to be talking about some movies we've seen over the summer, dating back to our last podcast where we talked about In the Heights and A Quiet Place 2. We're just going to sort of touch on everything we've seen since then. And we are going to start off with a movie released at the end of June, Zola, which was based on the viral twitter thread that came out in what was it 2015 about a dancer and her trip from detroit to florida that kind of turns into a nightmare um this came out at sundance over a year ago back in 2020 and was it's been pretty hyped up by the internet i feel like over the past year because it made sort of a a hit at sundance and it's a24 which is one of the sort of uh, big independent studios working today. I think we're going to discuss another A24 movie later. But what did you think of Zola, Jonathan? I thought it was very funny and unique. It's one of those films that has a vision behind it. Yeah, you want to name the director? How do you pronounce her her name? It is Janissa Bravo, who also yeah, co-wrote her- the screenplay. Yeah, I've uh, she's done two films, feature films. I saw her first one, Lemon, which is also very strange. She's directed a lot of television and it has a very unique vision. It's very off kilter and yes. you don't quite, even if you've read the Twitter thread, which I have never read it, uh, you don't really know exactly where it's going to go. And it, the tone of it is very strange. It's one that goes along and there's these weird little set pieces and they go to different places. It feels very odd, but it's it's quite compelling. And the thing that makes it stick and work is that the the performances, especially the two leads, are they're completely committing to the performances, and they're height they're heightened, and their performances, but they're so so committed, and you believe that they're these people. Like there's mm-hmm. this balance between being a comedic performance and like they are also the characters are performers in a way because yes. they're strippers they're dancers and uh one of them is kind of a con artist i mean really <laughs> is a con artist uh but yeah the the riley keogh is hilarious in the film she's known for being in mad max fury road and being in the first season of the tv show of the girlfriend experience among other films and uh they, they make the movie it's a good film but they their performances really push it up even further in quality because they are so committed and they're so funny in the movie and the yeah, movie taylor page real, is it was, the, the other actress who had, right. I, I had only it, seen in ma rainey's black bottom in like a very small role right and it's interesting that uh it's like there could be a category on wikipedia of films that are based on things besides novels short stories (laughs) magazine articles right like uh you know clues based on a board game and mars attack is based on a uh bubble gum you know comic series (laughs) and as far as i know this is the first film ever based on a twitter thread and what's interesting though is that it's a very cinematic film like Mm -hmm. i said there is a real vision behind it it's visually interesting and there's interesting narrative choices there one of the funniest bits in the movie is where you go through riley keogh's point of view for a brief bit and she's like sort of rational what she thinks style. really happen right yeah yeah but yeah it's it's i thought it was a very funny movie and very unique yeah and it was one of those that like gives you a glimpse into a reality that you would sort of never experience it's not like we're frequenting St. Petersburg or Tampa Bay strip clubs at three in the morning and getting involved in crime. So even though I, I was going to say, it's funny. I have a timeshare 
in St. Petersburg, Florida that I've been to my whole life. And I recognize some of the filming locations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not was, yeah, I thought it was clubs. a good Florida movie. It like really gave you a sense of just sort of like the the underbelly of some parts of Florida. It, is, it reminded me of the Florida Project uh, in a similar sort of way because of that. Hey, you've got all these like sort of yeah. bright colors and palm trees and then just like sort of gnarly stuff is happening around it. Yeah, it's that's uh, and two other A24 films that kind of reminded me of the Florida Project and Spring Breakers, maybe mm-hmm. even more Spring Breakers, the kind of style and the excess yes. of it. And the, and the, the use of the soundtrack of and everything. Right. Yeah, that would be a good, interesting uh, double feature, triple feature. (laughs) Spring Breakers and Zola would definitely be a wild uh, double feature. But I think we'd both recommend this. I think uh, I I thought it was really, really good. Um, It's definitely some be prepared for a little bit of graphic nudity. Um. (laughs) Right. There's not a lot of. like full on sex scene so much as it's just like happening and there's a bunch of shots of penises. Yeah. But and it, and 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 not necessarily people you want to see naked. Exactly. Yeah. But it, right. it, that was really played for laughs in a in a fun sort of way. Um there's like a montage of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> just the weirdest most misshapen dicks you could imagine. Right. Um, but yeah, I, we both like this a lot. Female director um two female stars too taylor yep. page and riley kia um right coleman domingo who is having like a hot streak plays like the sort of villain of the movie he was also in uh ma, ma rainey's black bottom and uh selma and uh if Beale street could talk so people are talking right. about maybe him getting an oscar nomination i don't know if it's going to go that far but it definitely was a, a very good supporting role I know the Oscars are getting more diverse and trying to branch out and be more international, but I always imagine like, would Doris Day see this movie or vote for it? You know, you know, (laughs) it's like, I can't imagine her, you know, but then there's been plenty of movies that are kind of not typical Oscar movies that have gotten nominated. And and if films win uh, for acting in a comedy, it's more often in supporting, you know, like Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny or, you know, that's that has happened but yeah it's uh it's it would be interesting if it would be nominated for adapted screenplay at some award show because it would be certainly the first one nominated for based on a twitter thread <laughs> yeah exactly maybe at the independent spirit awards um yeah. so the next one uh I, we both saw that in theaters right i know i did yes so I the think next I was the one, one in the theater it was only available on HBO Max, I believe. No Sudden Move, the newest Steven Soderbergh movie, which he directed, uh, photographed, and edited based on a And play. shot during COVID. I think it's important to note that he shot it during COVID. It was, it was over a, last fall. Big, is that right? Right. I th- If I'm not mistaken, I think they started filming it before COVID and they had to finish it during COVID. So uh-huh. it was, uh, it, I, I know it was certainly at least part of it was shot during COVID. It it's, feels sort of, I mean, when Steven Soderbergh is like editing and shooting it and directing it, I guess it's a pretty small sort of production. Um, it well, it's certainly a large cast, like it's, but it's... Yeah. yeah. But I mean, he's but very involved yeah. in all aspects of the filmmaking. And it doesn't like feel like a small movie because it's got a very big cast and a lot of different sort of plot threads. But uh, you can very much tell it's a Soderbergh movie and just sort of the way it moves and the way it looks. Um, and also returns to Detroit, which is the, the setting of the one of my favorite Soderbergh movies, uh, Out of Sight, uh, which also has Don Cheadle. So I like that sort of connection. Um, but the, yeah, this is like a 50s crime sort of mystery thriller. Noir. Noir, say sorta, noir. Yeah. Yeah. With a, like extensive cast. It's got Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, Amy Simons, Brendan Fraser, Kieran Culkin. Noah Jupe, Julia Fox, Frankie Shaw, Ray Liotta, Bill Dukes, uh, outstanding cast, which Soderbergh seems to have for like a lot of his movies these days. Um, but what do you think of this one? We both had to watch it on HBO Max, uh, not available in theaters. It wasn't showing in any theaters, right? It was exclusive to HBO Max. I think it played Maybe one week in and one theater in LA to qualify for awards just so they could say it counts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it, the movie I compare it to 
not so much in a stylistic way or even specifically the plot of the film, but the big sleep in that mm-hmm. I could not after the movie was over. Oh, this happened and this happened and these people were these, I couldn't <laughs> Why explain the happen? plot of the film. Right. <laughs> but what was, what was his I didn't motivation? Really care. <laughs> yeah, I got I, I got the basic gist of it, and I think it's stylishly directed. It has a really good cast, and it's always fun to see actors having a good time and you know oh that actor and this actor in this one scene seeing Ray Liotta and Brendan Fraser yeah. and Ray Li- you know it's like seeing you know Don Cheadle seeing them act together and it's just uh I mean Soderbergh is so economical like even yes. though the plot is kind of labyrinthine and there's twists and turns and it's not always entirely easy to follow you're in hands of such a master filmmaker that you're just going along for the ride and it doesn't really matter if you get every twist and turn uh, and even at the end of the movie, if you can't even explain everything, it's just, it's the, it's fun. The ride's fun. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. where it all ends. Yeah. And uh, Del Toro and Don Cheadle are actually like really good together. I can't think of, have they been together in a movie before? It's just off the top of my they've head. Both, they've both been in Soderbergh traffic, films, but I don't, Oh, they were both in traffic. Yeah, but they weren't in any scenes together, I don't think. I'm not sure. There, of course, uh, Del, uh, Benicio Del Toro was in uh, the Che uh, five, four and a half hour bio. Yeah. And one, th- one note of one important thing to say about that is he made that movie and he really questioned the purpose of movies and whether movies mattered anymore. And after that movie, purposely said that he wanted I mean he went in his quote-unquote retirement where he directed 20 hours of television and yeah. then he came back and has been doing like a year he said that he wanted to make movies make films anymore so he's made if you look at his movies they're genre movies Unsane yeah. is a horror movie High Flying Logan Bird Lucky sports movie com- right and so uh he's made it a point that he doesn't want to make you know statement political pictures or anything like that right i mean he's always been interested in genre and he's played with genre and you know traffic is like a oscar movie but it's also really watchable and entertaining and Mm -hmm. you know it's one of those like two and a half hour movies that is you know you don't get bored by it it's Mm -hmm. like so engrossing but yeah no sudden move is uh i wish i could i wish i could have seen it in the theater uh one of my students actually said i asked uh, at the beginning of class and he said oh i want to see no sudden move but i want to see it in the theater it's like sorry i don't know <laughs> i wish i wish yeah. you could i mean i heard him talk in an interview he said that a adult movie like this realistically it's not worth releasing in theater sometimes because yeah. it's just not going to make as much money it's like if they put it on something like hbo max or netflix you know he loves the theatrical experience too but especially even if it's dwindling down at you know the point it was released yeah like high flying bird was a netflix movie i think he's sort of logan lucky was the last one i remember being in theaters and that was sort of a bomb so maybe he sort of just switched to streaming well the laundromat did play in theaters but that was a netflix Netflix movie i I saw it in theaters yeah i did see it in theaters but high flying bird went straight to after playing at a film festival and then uh, he had Let Them All Talk, a film with Meryl Streep and Candice Bergen that mm-hmm. came out at the end of last year. So he, he's had two films come out solely HBO Max mm-hmm. during COVID. And he's already shot another movie with Zoe Kravitz. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, he never stops. Sounds like a, I know, it's like a conversation. He's just like turned into Woody Allen. Like, it's just like a movie yeah, a year now. Yeah, I mean, he... I know. Well, he, I mean, he's pretty consistently. I mean, not. I mean, if you look at he did uh, Sex Lies and Videotape was eighty nine, and he's you know about average. He's done about a film a year. You know, he's he's very consistent uh, and mixes it up. Yeah, and he's produced a lot too. I mean, he's directed about a film a year, but he's you know he used the Bill and Dead sequel and he produces a bunch of television. But yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. It's um, you kind of don't get frustrated with it if you are confused by it at points yeah. kind of just okay I, I you understand the basic of you know people are going around doing stuff and you just enjoy the going around and doing stuff <laughs> yeah i thought the best part of it was like the home invasion 
kidnapping of the family sort of first half hour. I actually thought their sort of masks were very visually interesting. I'm always interested in how they do the sort of criminal masks in movies. And this was one that I'm sure you'd seen before, but it just, it looked really cool. The way like Benicio like the, run, the white tie and the white sort of mask, it all worked very well for me. <laughs> it looks like the Lone Ranger. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to an interview with Soderbergh where he said that he didn't want to do like the killing or point break, like rubber clown masks, because for one thing, it's like really unpleasant to like be in those for a long time for the actors, but also just for a film, it's like, you can't see their eyes. They're talk, you know, it's, it's just, it it gets boring to look at, but especially if they have to wear it for extended periods, because they've got the masks on for half an hour in this movie. Right. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed the film quite a bit. And it's also interesting the way he shot it because it has this kind of old school where on the edges it's bent. Mm-hmm. It, it, they use these old lenses where it looks like it's almost like a, a, a widescreen film that if you played it in a theater, it would, you know, look like, uh, you know, it would look different on a big screen probably, mm-hmm. but it's it's curved at the edges. So don't think your television or HBO Max uh they're miscalibrated that's <laughs> yeah. it's purposefully that way this starts smacking yeah. the tv yeah i mean we say this about every movie but uh this is one you really even though it's a fun movie it's a genre movie like you really want to put your phone on silent and watch mm-hmm. it in one sitting uninterrupted because it, it 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 it's entertaining but you you have to give it your full attention yeah and it's got a lot of interesting characters and really well-known actors portraying those characters so i don't think it'll take a lot for you to get sort of sucked into it Um, and i was just going to say that brendan fraser is really going through like the matthew mcconaughey with his mcconaissance because he's going to he's the star of darren aronofsky's new film called the whale and no you know this isn't a criticism but he certainly is heavier Yes, uh, you've seen him because he's playing a morbidly obese man in Darren Aronofsky's new film, and he's been cast in Martin Scorsese's new film, uh, The Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, he definitely doesn't have the matinee star idol looks that he had when he was in The Mummy, and uh, he's actually making it really work for him, aging into these sort of character roles. Right. So yeah, so we also recommend this film. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Very sort of old school. If you like, can't think of something to put on, this is a good one to put on if you have HBO Max. Um, like if you're a fan of like, you know, Samuel Fuller. Hard-boiled or sort of. Rafe. Yeah. Right. Um, so the next one like uh, if, we're going to yeah. discuss is only in theaters, which is great. Uh, we'll see how yeah. long that's going for. I saw this last week. I think you saw it uh, opening night. Is that right? Yep. I saw it Friday night. It is The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry, who's probably best known for the Pete's Dragon remake, would you say? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Nobody saw it. Nobody movie. saw that. Nobody. Uh, a ghost story. Nobody saw that either. It's cri- well, nobody's seen any of his movies unless they're <laughs> yeah. film fans. I mean, I okay, I'll say this. Pete's Dragon is the best of the Disney remakes, and it's the only one that's better than the original film. Mm-hmm. But he uh, critically, probably his best film, like the one with the highest Metacritic rating is A Ghost Story. And he also mm-hmm. did The Old the Gun with Robert Redford. Have you seen any of his movies? Besides did he do Out of the Furnace, the one with Christian Bale? No. Okay, no. So then I haven't, except for this one. You haven't seen Ain't Them Body Saints? No, I wanted to. That's the one with uh, Rooney Mara. Right. Casey Casey Affleck and Ben Foster. Yeah. Yeah, I really like, I've seen all of his except his first film, which uh, is very little scene called Saint Nick. But uh, The Green Knights, I think the best film he's done yet. I've only, I've seen all of them except his first feature. This is one of the ones that was supposed to come out in 2020, but got delayed uh, by a whole year. And I mean, when I saw it, it was actually like a pretty full theater, which I did not expect for like a sort of artsy, very slow, sort of hallucinogenic type kind of art movie. Um, Yeah, I went to a multiplex and there was like 60 people in the theater. Yeah, I think there was like almost 100 in mine, which was surprising. I was like, okay, people coming out to see The Green Knight. 
Um, yeah, and I loved it. I think it's one of the best films of the year. Not that I've seen nearly as many films as I usually do yes. at this point over halfway through, but I think it's kind of brilliant. Uh, it's, it is, I've been telling people, it's not a typical adventure sword and sorcery film. It's not, you know, very the director, psychological. it's funny. He said, he said that when uh, the, the thing that spurred him making the movie was that he got out his Willow action that he had in the closet, the Ron Howard film, Willow mm-hmm. fantasy film. And he said that Willow and Lord of the Rings were two really big influences on his mind, but it's not, and not criticizing those movies at all, but he's, it's a very different movie because mm-hmm. this movie, like you said, is slow and thought provoking and they're based on a 14th century long. poem. Yes. And I've heard it's quite accurate. It, it, it goes in its own ways, but yes. it, it's, there's a number of references that it sticks uh, to the story in many ways. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's actually like a pretty faithful adaptation, except for two pretty notable uh, things that aren't in the original one. That's with the, the St. Winifred episode. And then also the episode with uh, Barry Cogan's character as a sort of like, uh, rogue on the road who <laughs> presents trouble to Gawain which I saw was a sort of like a homage to Barry Lyndon in the scene where Barry Lyndon gets uh, accosted by burglars in the woods um, well why don't you say what it is based on if we haven't if people don't know exactly it is what based, it is on based on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight one of the it's up there with sort of with Beowulf is like sort of the ultimate like pre-Shakespearean English work of English literature uh, by an anonymous poet called the, the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight poet. Um, this is one of those sort of classic uh, British literature 101. You read this right after you read Beowulf. So actually, I think more people might be familiar with it than, um, you know, something like the Canterbury Tales or something like that, because so many people might have read it uh, their freshman year of college. But um, it's it's basically like a story about uh, sort of self-realization and sort of uh, like expectation as a knight, but also sort of self-expectation and sort of trying to live up to your own uh, sort of uh, belief of what like you should be as a knight. And I think it, it's very psychological. It's very, Dev Patel's in like almost every shot of the movie. He's in so much of it and he's, I mean, really at the center of the movie, like a lot of it is just sort of like shots of him going through nature or like sort of close-ups of, of him sort of going through things psychologically. And this is the the second leg of his sort of a reinterpretation of classic uh, English literature characters, which he also did in David Copperfield, which came out last year. So we're, so we're getting a sort of Dev Patelissance uh, at the moment. Um, Oh, well, I was going to say that uh, he, I think that one thing about his casting that makes it interesting is that he does have the heft and charisma to play a knight, but he also has a vulnerability yes. and a questioning that you're not sure, you know, he's not sure if he's man enough, if he's uh, strong enough, if he has the willpower. And I mean, I think, I, I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds, just picking apart certain scenes and like analyzing it, but I think the film there is certainly a questioning of masculinity. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he's gay in the film, but there's homoerotic stuff in the movie. For example, the we should say Alicia Vikander's in it playing two characters. Yeah, double and role. The first one who, yeah, the woman that uh, is his girlfriend at the beginning of the film, Essel, I think's her name. Yes, and she uh, she has short hair. Mm-hmm. And he has this lovely mane of hair and <laughs> beautiful black he goes mane. To, yes. And there uh, he goes to see a uh, Lord and lady played by Joel Edgerton and another character, Alicia Vikander plays the lady. And there is a scene where Joel Edgerton's character kisses uh, Gawain on the mouth. And there's a very significant scene where she comes into Gawain's bedroom and he has this scarf felt that is supposed to protect him. And, you know, knights are supposed to not have sex. And mm-hmm. he ejaculates on the, right, she comes onto him, but she just comes. Uh, and it's uh, very you know, biological questions about like, 
Right. And, and if you notice, so the Winifred is uh, a woman that loses her head and she uh, can turn into a fox. And in that scene, she, uh, the lady's wearing a coat made of fur fox. You know, so there's a bunch of things that I've been also the other thing I want to say is the film is about storytelling to me. It's about myths and legends. Yes. The film, uh, you know, there's a part in that castle where the lady exposes light and it makes a picture that's upside down. And it's like modern photography. Yeah. You know, many, many years before there could have been. And also at the beginning, there's a part where he's running through the brothel and there's like light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. And he's like running through uh, past uh, columns and there's like quick cuts and it's to me seemed like you know shutter on a film reel like da, 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 da. when we and also get the sort of the reenactment uh, like film within the film kind of deal where we get to the puppets which are like playing right. out the sort of drama of Gawain and the Green Knight um, so it's a bit yes. meta when it comes to that yeah. and the whole thing is sort of presented and, where King Arthur is like tell me a tale of like you know chivalry and, and good deeds and then it's sort of like the movie is that tale to a certain extent. And also, and also the film, I'll just say the ending, there's kind of uh, two different endings and you have to question which is real. Yeah. And when Gawain sees the, the lady in the library, uh, she talks about how she's read all the books in the library and she says she's transcribed some of them. And if she feels like she can improve the ending of the story, she's changed some of them. <laughs> yeah. And that's like what happens at the end of this movie. And we were saying before uh, that it's like the last temptation of Christ in that there are kind of two versions of mm-hmm. you know what happens. And I will say, I think it's very important. I People should always do this, but stay through the very end credits because there's a brief scene that's at the very end of the after the end credits, and it makes you, it can make you question which version of the ending is real. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was beautifully shot. Yeah, and I just I couldn't get it out of my head. It's a film you really got to kind of get on its it's it's. it's it's not Lord of the Rings. It's more like Ingmar Bergman. It also kind of reminds yeah. me of the Seventh Seal in a way. Yeah, and it's, that, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. No, and it was one where I sort of lost track of time while I was watching it, and when it got to the end, I was like, "Oh, is this is this actually near the end?" <laughs> I have no sense of how long I've been here because right. it's, it's very. I wouldn't say it's like slow. It's not like painstakingly slow, but it's it it lingers on a lot of shots and it. I mean, it really sort of makes use of uh, the locations in an interesting way. And just yeah. like the color palette, is, it's very, very cool. It's uh, sort of psychedelic in a weird sort of way. Um, yeah, the, there's a speech in the film, uh, it, you know, it's the Green Knight. And um, by the way, the, the some of the other actors, the two actors who played the parents and the witch, another A24 film are both yeah, in both this in film. It, yeah. The, the mother from the witch plays the queen, uh, King Arthur's wife, and uh, the father from the witch plays the Green Knight. And it's really cool that that was all done with practical makeup effect. The Green mm-hmm. Knight was not CGI. His, I mean, when his, no, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer and it happens in the first 20 minutes. His yeah. head gets cut off. That's, you know, some, you know, but the makeup when he's walking through, you know, with his head on, that's practical makeup effects. But yeah, the uh, there's a speech about how green represents growth and mm-hmm. life, and but there's also like th- something getting diseased, and yes. uh, you know, and and Rot. the look of the film, yeah, there's this kind of mixture of this lush landscapes, these beautiful scenery, scenery, but also there's this kind of creeping kind of death and rot in the movie too yeah like sort the, of like menace and like death and annihilation sort of hanging over all of it <laughs> right and uh i think dev patel i mean even something like some dog millionaire he's kind of um he's had a lot of roles where he's not like absolutely the number one lead like in yeah you know, it's like when he's been nominated for some dog millionaire and lion like at award shows he's been in the supporting category often like this is one mm-hmm. of the films along with David Copperfield, where he's, he is the, you know, it's, you know, there's, a, you know, multiple other characters in the film, but he is the lead mm-hmm. and it's, he's really good in the movie. Yeah. And it says movie more than anybody else. Everyone else sort of just yeah. plays off of him. 
Um, yeah. And to use the phrase, not that he was ever unattractive, but he is people, you know, he had the term, he's glowed up. He, <laughs> he, he, he was kind of, you know, uh, he's sort of skinny, he's boyish he and slumdog millionaire. Yeah. And now you're like, oh, damn, he's a man. Now he's a knight. <laughs> but, <laughs> he's uh, a knight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I really recommend the movie. And uh, if you feel comfortable, this is a one uh, of the of the all the movies uh, that I've seen so far this year. Uh, I would say this is one of the ones you really should see in a theater mm-hmm. on the big screen. Yeah. Really I also think besides the visual aspect that too, because I feel like it's a movie if you're not great at like paying attention and like pausing and you know going back going back to a movie finishing it like you really want to have the film be bigger than you the screen but like mm-hmm. you, you know you can't you, you kind of have to like let the film envelop you and you mm-hmm. go on get into its world and its wavelength it is like there's a part where you eat some mushroom and it gets like psychedelic like it is one of those movies where you kind of get sucked into it and you yeah like you said you kind of don't like have has the movie been on 90 minutes or yeah. like, have i been you know yeah yeah it's i i highly recommend the green knight yes so do i i think uh it'll end up very high on people's sort of top 10 of the year endless and uh, and not that it matters so much but i really don't know like the oscar chances of this movie like would it get nominated no i think anything? i think probably like cinematography and maybe like sound design um because it had pretty cool sort of sound to it um i don't i don't I, the score also was sort of interesting it's it kind of just like meshed into the sort of overall sound of the movie um but yeah it was cool yeah. it's one i'll definitely see again it's one that you really think about after uh after right. you're done seeing it it lingers long in the mind um yeah so- i'll just say, I'll, I'll end by saying this there's the film opens with uh Gwen's head catching on fire and i'll make a weird comparison it reminded me in twin peaks fire walk with me the the film of twin peaks where early on there's a television set that's smashed i feel like it's like david lynch was saying that this is not the tv show this is not the show twin peaks this is a different thing i feel like david Lowry is almost saying like this is not the tale the legend you've been told in school like this is a new version of it like we we're setting that on you know we're in we're setting that on fire yeah so no there's a lot of things to dissect about this movie yeah right yeah so what is one that's gonna it's gonna be a classic it's a it's an instant classic yeah yeah so what are some films that one of us have seen but the other have so the next sort of three movies uh I all sort of pile into the sort of not empty, but sort of brainless uh, summer blockbuster movies. Um, One of them was Army of the Dead, which came out on Netflix, uh, which is a Zack Snyder special story by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Zack Snyder, directed by Zack Snyder, produced by Zack Snyder. Um, And it's pretty stupid and ridiculous, and it's much, much longer than it needs to be. But if you just want to see some zombies get blown up and shot in the head, it's actually a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it's got like it actually some cast members I'd never seen in things before that actually impressed me a decent amount. Um, Dave Batista as the lead is not exactly charismatic. I thought it was sort of a weird bit of casting uh, because he's, <laughs> I don't know. It was a weird Dave Batista role. Um, but Army of the Dead, you haven't seen that yet, right? You probably won't. No, don't. Don't have much interest. Although I will say, of the few Zack Snyder films I've seen, you I like certainly think one. his best his Dawn of the Dead remake, which also connects to a film you're going to mention in a minute because it was written by James Gunn. Yes, and uh, the Suicide Squad is directed by James Gunn, and it was pro- one of the producers is Zack Snyder. Yes, and uh, that just came out on HBO Max last yeah. week. Um, yeah, but I was going to say Army of uh, Ar- Army. I almost say army of darkness but that's yeah. a good movie actually but uh <laughs> i i just don't care about seeing Zack Snyder doing a two and a half hour zombie movie filled with a bunch of cgi i mean i like zombie movies but i just feel like I just, <laughs> there's better just, ways to spend your time <laughs> no it's like even though dawn of the dead is like two hours and 10 minutes about uh i just don't 
Jack, Jack Snyder, just his, his mentality, his, I just like, I, I, there are a few movies that have ever been made that like seeing his four hour and a few oh, justice league director's cut. I would rather like shave off all my hair from head to toe and eat it. than watch justice league. I mean, that just seems <laughs> like the, like the worst thing to ever watch. No, Zach like, I'm not saying it's the like, worst movie ever made. He's like the quintessential like 13 year old boy. He's just like given a $200 million budget to just do whatever he wants. It's these movies are very sort of, just like, oh man, wouldn't it be crazy if like a helicopter cut a zombie's head off? Oh man, we should go shoot that. It's, it's basically well, they, the same. Yeah, well, that, well, that happened in Dawn of the Dead, the original. So he's, you know, and that happened in 28 weeks later. So it's not like. Oh, I know. That's, yeah, well, that's just, also the thing is it's not like he's super original. Derivative. Exactly. Yeah. But he's, I've heard that one of the best performances, it's interesting, like Christopher Plummer and all the money in the world that mm-hmm. uh that comedian that was oh who was replaced of, yeah you know misgivings by Tignataro. Tig i've heard she's one of the best performances. yeah she's so that the- was actually a lucky well for as lucky as the situation can be that they got rid of um i can't remember the name of the comedian who got in hot water for um some pretty questions he was on the tv show whitney <laughs> yes yeah i, can't I can picture the guy but yeah Tignataro is sort of like a helicopter pilot um, it actually is replaced, <laughs> yeah. really good in the movie. Replaced with stand up, yeah. Comedian. One comedian replacing another, yeah. One comedian replacing another comedian, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's I have no interest. It's in not terrible. It, though. Uh, you're probably never gonna see it if if you nope. <laughs> just turn on a stupid movie on Netflix. It's you could find worse ones. Uh, well, it's also Squad, a, it, well, it's uh, also a heist movie, finish. right? Yes, yes. It's, but it's sort of weird. He doesn't really exactly manage the plot very well. And you kind of forget about the heist for like a good bit of it. Um, Zack Snyder is not exactly uh, the strongest of screenwriters. So you can sort of see the seams in some of the sort of parts of it. But yeah, it's like a heist His, movie smashed yeah. with a zombie movie is basically what like the like elevator. Zack Snyder's not, yeah, Zack Snyder's not known for his taught screenplay. <laughs> exactly. He's not exactly Robert yeah. Town. No. Um, but yeah, so the other one, Suicide Squad, also is sort of a a stupid movie. Um the which, Suicide Squad, right. The Suicide Squad, exactly. Suicide Squad is the uh David Ayer movie, is that right? From 2016. Yeah. Um but this one was Did you ever see that one? Did you ever see that one? Not the whole thing. I've I've only watched parts of it on TV. It, that one was weird where it was like uh some movies, I don't know if it's I don't know if that one was shot in 3D, but I can think of others that were shot in 3D where it just is like looks dark. And sometimes you have a hard time telling like what's happening on screen. Um, well, I could talk about me seeing the Suicide Squad, but you talk, you talk about it goes along with what you're saying. But yeah. You talk about what you thought you watched on HBO Max. Or yeah, I watched it on HBO Max. Um, I don't know. I th- it's been getting much better reviews than it deserves. I don't know if that's because people are so used to superhero movies being like very bland and not violent and not cursing a lot. But so people are just like, oh, I mean, I think Deadpool had a similar sort of reaction where people were just like, oh, it's a superhero movie where they curse. Isn't this awesome? Um, but James Gunn, like, he had, this is the same thing with the, uh, um, the Marvel movies he did guardians of the galaxy where it seems like he just thinks like putting in cool songs is like being an auteur. Um, so it's got like a cool soundtrack, but it really leans heavily on the soundtrack um, in a way. Like that Scorsese I, does. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But Scorsese actually like a lot of times, like the songs like comment on what's happening or it's sort of like, uh, in the uh, Aquarius part in Goodfellas, where it's sort of like what the song like actually is juxtaposed to what's happening on the screen and like makes you consider what's happening on screen in a more interesting way. This is just sort of he's like looking through Spotify and it's like I like this song. I'm gonna put this in this part. This song is cool. I'm gonna put it in this part. But he leans so heavily on the soundtrack that it seems like that's kind of always got. Um, in the sort of like body horror violence, which I mean, people it might be like revelatory for a superhero movie to some people, 
but it's like very tame compared to stuff like a RoboCop or something like that. Um, or like Cronenberg movies, <laughs> like Scanners or something. So I don't know. It all just comes off as sort of like, isn't this cool that this is like violent and they're cursing? I'm just like, it's not that cool. <laughs> like it's it's not. Yeah, like I, I was saying one of one of my friends said the movie is uh, acts like it's all hard and punk rock, and it's yeah. about as hard and punk rock as a hot topic story. Yeah, it's I mean that's basically how it is. And I don't. Know. Did you enjoy it though? Yeah, it's not like I was like this sucks. Um, but it's you know it's one you sort of watch and you forget about because it's not like I care what happens to Harley Quinn or Bloodsport or Peacemaker or King Shark. Where does it land? On, where does it land on the cinematic spectrum of comic book movies? Like if you're comparing it to like what's the Citizen Kane and what's what are the worst ones? Like where where does it land on? It's like scale? it's right in the middle. I mean, it's. When you've got all this money and you've got a big studio, you're at least going to, you'd hope, I mean, this doesn't always come across, you get Batman versus Superman and stuff like that, but there's going to at least be like a certain quality to, to you know, the effects and the cast is really cool, like Idris Elba. Well, you say, you say that, but like I see stills from Justice League and I go, this looks like garbage and it's like yeah. one of the most movies ever made. Well, yeah, so, I mean, like, that's why not I, all of them are going to like look great and stuff like that but this one does i mean it looks pretty good it's not like it's like too dark like some of the other um dc movies are like batman v superman or the first suicide squad movie so i mean it's an improvement um it is is it great though it's like a five six out of ten it's not terrible um if you want to see sort of like violent superhero movies this is like uh probably one of the best ones you can find which isn't saying a lot. I'm not a huge fan of Deadpool. I'm not a big fan of Ryan Reynolds in general. So this is better. The only than movie I, I like the movie Buried, where it's you're watching him be buried alive and dying for 90 minutes. That's good. <laughs> you, you enjoyed that, Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, so I just find you had a. Smar- I find him kind of smarmy. Yeah, he's got actually yeah. got a movie coming out next week. New Free Guy or New Guy, something like that. Which which is not getting it. Which is getting decent reviews. Uh, no, but, but the problem uh, with Ryan Reynolds now is just like he's got this same sort of like Van Wilder, Deadpool. Like he can't be in like a normal movie. He's just he has to do the Ryan Reynolds sort of joking, quick witted. It's not like he's actually that funny. It's not like he's like Robin Williams or something. Um, oh, no. no. <laughs> so but, that's a um, bit of a tangent. But you had a, okay. a disappointing theater experience with the Suicide Squad, didn't you? Uh, so I had finished teaching my class and I don't particularly care about comic book movies, but this one has a 74 on Metacritic right now. And I was like, you know what? I want to see a big loud movie in IMAX. I'm done teaching my class. So I went on Thursday night to the 1010 screening at the IMAX in Simpsonville, South Carolina. I got my ticket in person. I went into the with my mask and I sat down and the trailers were out of focus. Like they were noticeably out of focus. Like there was something wrong. And I went out and told the management, I just want to let you know, uh, the trailers are out of focus. And I just want to, you know, make sure you can get it fixed before the movie starts. And I'm like, okay. So I went back in, trailers are still out of focus. The movie starts first five minutes of the movie, it's still out of focus. And so I go out quickly and say the, the movie's still out of focus. And they said, yeah, we know we're trying to fix it. I go back and I sit for about 10 more minutes. I've gotten about 15 minutes in the movie and it's still out of focus. Like I'm getting a headache. I can't focus. I literally, my eyes can't focus on the movie because it's blurry and the titles, especially they're blurry. And so I go out and I I go get a refund and they give it to me. And I say, the movie's out of focus. And I say, yeah, we're to really fix it we would have to power off the whole system and bring it back up which would take an hour and i said did this happen at the 7 p.m screening and like yeah and i was like can you let the next screening go on with the movie knowing it's out of focus yeah and they said we have one from imax coming because imax deals with imax screens and they said they're going to be here in a week they said they were going to be there a week from then. So as far as I know, it seems like they're just going to play 
the movie out of focus for a full week. Yeah. And it just made me think that the theatrical experience is dead. You know, if people don't care that a movie's out of focus or it's like, what are we doing? Management doesn't care either. I know it's like, and it's supposed to be IMAX is supposed to be the most clear, best picture quality you can have. And I was like getting a headache because I couldn't focus on it. It was out of focus. It was not, it just was so distracting. I was just so disheartened by the experience. It makes me just think that movie theaters are kind of a thing of the past. Well, yeah. And Um, when you go to a movie, like that's like the last thing you expect is for it to be like (laughs) willingly sort of ignoring technical difficulties. It kind of does make it be like, what's even the point of going? I can. Back in the day, you know, back in my day, there used to be like actual projectionists at movie theaters where they, because it was film prints and they had to know how to present a movie and project it. And now it's some nerd who's not getting paid enough who pushes the button on an iPad probably. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw someone, I posted it on a Facebook page, a movie group page, and someone said that he worked on the movie the suicide squad and he went to a screening of it and the tops of that people's heads were cut off like it was oh not God. framed right and he went out and, and told the management that you know that it needs to be and the guy said uh no that's just the way the movie is and the guy pointed <laughs> to his crew jacket that he wore and he said i worked on this movie no it's not supposed to look like this with the actor's heads cut off you know it's just it's so depressing that they just people don't care about you know a lot of theaters they screen the movies and the, it's not as bright as it should be because they don't want to burn out the bulbs you know because they want to preserve the, uh, the the bulbs and you know the theater booming next door you know the soundproofing is yeah. terrible it's just so just dis- i mean i'm tarantino's been promoting his new book and he was saying that you know he really believes in the theatrical experience, but some theaters deserve to go under because they were really lousy and they don't care about, you know, they theaters want to make money from selling popcorn and yeah. soda, but they, the number one concern should be the absolute best quality screening image sound seating. You know, you should have the best screening, you know, you're, you're going it's to like see the a whole movie. point of it. <laughs> yeah. To me, at least, you know, it's like there's like people in the theater. It's like I, I I bet everyone else in the theater there was only like 15 people at the screening, uh, but of the Suicide Squad. But I don't think anyone else got up and walked out. Yeah, like they're gonna sit for a two hour and ten minute movie out of focus. I was just yeah. like, it, I thought it was galling. Yeah, but I go on uh, to review one of my movies and you can go back to your other one because I had another not great movie theater experience. I went to see Roadrunner a film about Anthony Bourdain. It's a documentary by Morgan Neville, who's directed a number of uh, well-known documentaries in the last years, last 10 years or so. He did the 20 Feet from Stardom, won the Oscar. Yes. Uh, he did the Mr. Rogers one, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. He did a really good one too, wasn't was well-known of. It's called Best of Enemies. That's about uh, Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley feuding on television back huh. in the day. But uh, it's uh, this new one is, as the title suggests, a film about Anthony Bourdain. And I had no connection uh, or knowledge. Uh, I mean, not that I didn't have any knowledge of Anthony Bourdain, but I had never watched his TV show. You didn't watch No Reservations? Book. No, all I knew is, oh, he's that chef, celebrity chef. I, I knew, I, I had no negative or positive opinions about him. But I thought it was a really well done documentary. It's uh, it, It's one of those films that, explains someone to a degree but also acknowledges and presents the enigma of him the impossibility of knowing somebody even like his close friends right and so there's they lay out how his life went and what he did in his life and how he thought of the world and the relationships he's he had and it lets the audience decide you know it's not like why did he kill himself? It's not like the ans- The film is like going to that. It's, it's not, not like it's like a journalistic, right? And there was this silly controversy, in my opinion, about the the they use some AI to have him read his own words, and so he was. They had uh, you know thousands of hours of his voice, and they put it into a system, and they were able to have him read something he actually wrote. So it's not them 
making up something. Putting I, words I in his wasn't mouth. really bothered. Right. I wasn't really bothered by that. Uh, but that but was like the biggest I, bit of press the movie got was the sort of controversy around it was uh, sort of became like the big talking point of, over its release, I feel like. Right. Um, the thing that irritated me, I went to the film and there was a, number, you know, a, f- a few people, I'd say there's like 20 or 25 people in the theater. And it was the second week it had been playing at that theater. And there were two women in the audience that were using their phones uh, a number of times during the movie. And I just got so angry towards the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, the guy killed himself. And it's really moving and uh, sad to watch multiple friends and colleagues of his talk about the experience of hearing the news and, and probably relive it them. You're right like some of them are holding back tears and other of them can't help it and they start crying on camera and there's parts where it's like quiet for 20 straight seconds because they're trying not to break into tears they're trying to compose themselves and there's these two women in the audience during those scenes texting pulling out their phones and i just go again movie theaters are not going to be around much longer like yeah. people just have no respect for movie theaters and not even movie theaters in the theatrical experience, but you know, they're talking about their friend committing suicide and they look at their phone. Yeah. I just was like, so like enraged. The movie theater, like becoming the living room and people just sort of bringing how they watch Netflix and stuff like that into movie theaters, which is not what you want. Yeah. So I was really disappointed in the people's behavior in the theater but i thought it was a good documentary i I recommend it and even if you didn't have uh knowledge uh too much like i did i didn't really know too much about anthony bourdain i just like kind of knew who he was uh i thought it was well done documentary yeah that Um, was playing in the sort of like use your phone art theaters um i think it's probably still showing in some of the sort of like art theaters uh around right so um i recommend the movie i don't recommend texting in a movie theater it's bad and you're a bad person for doing it um, <laughs> well you ruin everybody else's experience it's like it's extremely selfish yeah um, well yeah. you go to your other big dumb movie you saw so so the last big dumb movie which i think was the best uh of the big dumb movies uh was fast nine the return of justin lynn who's directed more than half of the fast films um this is the first really? one you know, I I think he's he did Tokyo Drift. Uh, he did four. He did five. He did six, and now he's a nine. So that's around half. Um, this is the first one without The Rock since Fast Four. <laughs> the Rock went to big Jungle Cruise. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but this one was sort of just what you expect from a fast movie. It's pretty dumb. Vin Diesel does the whole salute me familia kind of deal um and it actually leans very heavy into the the dom toretto sort of backstory and you've got a ridiculous bit of casting where john cena plays vin diesel's brother (laughs) they look absolutely nothing like each other so that was fun Um, they're both just large that's yeah big big guys like oh you've got muscles it must be your brother um but i mean this movie's just got like a ton of actually really good actors like helen mirren and uh Charlie Theron just coming for a paycheck and working slumming, six hours. Slumming. Exactly. Slumming and just getting that paycheck. So I love seeing that. So, um, I mean, for someone who you hasn't do? seen any of the Fast movies, probably not going to love it. But for people who like the Fast movies and the sort of like idiocy that comes with them, it it's sort of right up the alley. Um, and I don't know. It's not like these are like... Uh, <laughs> It's not like there, there will be blood or no good for old men or, or, or even, even like Mad a, Max Fury no Road. Move. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, yeah. But it is a serviceable action movie and uh, some wild shit happens on screen. <laughs> so you get some funny jokes. So this is sort well, of the, 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 the question I have is, is it exciting though? If it's so ludicrous, like it is. Yeah, it, is there I, think any actually, kind of... I think it actually is. I mean, obviously, like some of the stunts are like physically impossible. It's just like they couldn't happen. But I think that the fast movies actually work because they acknowledge the silliness of it. Um, it's sort of tongue in cheek. At least it is for everyone except for Vin Diesel, <laughs> who takes it completely seriously. But that also is kind of fun. 
because Vin Diesel's like the ultimate sort of unintentional comedy actor um, who takes himself very, like, very seriously. In fact, like Schwarzenegger has always known he's had, that he has a sense of humor. Right? Yeah, exactly. And that's what sort of makes like last action hero and true lies sort of work is the sort of winkingness of it. But in a weird sort of way, the the sort of like silliness of everything about the movie then the seriousness of Vin Diesel at the center it, it kind of works in a weird sort of way um and this one it very much leans into the Vin Diesel because the rock isn't in it and I don't know I liked it it was the first movie I'd seen in theaters after being fully vaxxed so that was a celebration in itself <laughs> so I don't know I recommend I, this I to anyone who's seen the fast movies if if anyone wants to sort of binge a series the way they would do a TV show, the fast movies are pretty good for that. Cause honestly, these are movies where you can look at your phone while you're watching them. Like I, I wouldn't judge you for doing that. Not in the theater though. No, not in the theater, but at home, if you're just watching too fast, too furious, you can scroll Twitter while you're doing it. And I think a there's John a place Singleton for movies film. like that. Obviously I prefer movies like the green Knight and stuff like that because they have a lot more value and you know <laughs> you can think about them and it challenges you in interesting ways but i think there is a place for fast nine and just sort of idiotic uh ultimate popcorn movies so i like this one i liked how stupid it was i, I haven't seen any of the fast and furious films i have zero desire to see any of them ever move on if you if you see one <laughs> I see just, fast I five that one's actually very I mean, good yeah, I just I I think Mad Max Fury Road is the best film of the previous decade. I love car chase films. I grew up watching it's a mad, 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 mad world. And yes, I love the you know, you know, there's a lot of car chase cars work on, on really film. Like and, <laughs> it's just a fact. Yeah. But um one other movie I saw that uh the one I certainly hated the most of everything I've seen this year, <laughs> I saw M Night Shyamalan. I shame about the last films old, which I went into, there's this film Twitter debate about is Shyamalan actually like this underappreciated auteur who's sometimes made table movies, but has made a number of movies that are technically well-made and they're, uh, you know, he, he has a vision. Well, I don't uh, think you can overstate how I, big I, like the sixth sense was when it came out. Like that was, and he's movie. never, yeah. And I like Unbreakable. Uh, it's never come close to being as good as those two films. No, I think since then. Uh, I mean, I thought Split was. Uh, there's this, yeah, Split. That was sort of I, his it comeback. Was enough, but yeah, yeah. Well, people for some reason thought the the um, the visit was a comeback, and I thought that was atrocious. Which one like, was the I visit? Just, just, oh. It's the found footage film where the kids go to their grandparents, and it's just. Oh, I didn't. Terrible. I didn't hear about that one. Or I guess I've yeah, just forgotten about too. it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the poster looked like a, you know, it looked like a quilted, like a, a you know, those sayings. Old grandparents. Oh yeah, 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 like yeah. Quilted. Yeah. It's like the stuff um, from uh, old. Yeah. There you go. On. <laughs> yeah, is a Twilight Zone episode pulled to like. To uh, like an hour and 47 minutes or something and it's just it i mean a good filmmaker could have taken the premise and done something interesting with it but it's just everything and it's misjudged it the actors uh you know they're good actors in it it's gail garcia bernal uh and uh vicky creeps who is in phantom thread and it's just thomas and mckenzie the, the character yeah wonderful and uh leave no trace uh, and she's going to be in the new Edgar Wright film, but it the the characters just behave in ridiculous ways. Like there's this annoying kid that asks everyone, "What's your occupation?" And you're like, "Why are you asking the people this?" <laughs> and it's like they're eight, they go to a beach and they age really quickly. Yes, and like it's noticeable in the kids. Most you know the the, the you know the kids are go, like twelve uh, and now they're like twenty five or thirty or something. Right. Yeah, it's like uh, suddenly it's Alex Wolfman. You know, he has like, you know, he's tall and he's a man. And it's just, it's like their children come and they're like obviously many years older. And the parents are like, whoa, what happened to you? And they're not going, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong? Like, they're not like, you know, Jesus Christ, who are you? Like, Let's get out of here. 
<laughs> I know. And it's just the, the way the characters act is ridiculous. And it's so laughable at times, but I actually felt bad for Shyamalan. Like I, I didn't laugh because I just was like, oh no, no, this is just so misjudged. Oh, you thought it's this not was good? <laughs> It's not scary. And also it's like some people say, yeah, it's, you know, it's clunky at times, but it's visually well done and there's interesting cinematography. And it's like, no, it's just bad. It's just, it's just, you know, it just because it's filmed on a pretty beach and it's, it's in focus. And it's actors uh, you recognize. (laughs) I know it's just embarrassing. I just, it's, it's not scary. It was an interesting trailer. I'll say that much. I just I, I strongly disliked it uh, and uh, like and even like oh does it build to a good or disappointing ending I said by the end it was just like the ending was as bad as anything it just it wasn't like oh it saved itself at the end by having a good ending or oh it got you know significantly worse it's like it was just uh, consistently awful you know throughout it mm-hmm. I thought it was really awful I hated it <laughs> I was just like it, it's one of those do you ever see a movie in a theater where you're just like you're you're like your your stomach is tight because you're just like cringing for the movie like you're just, like you're just uncomfortable by how bad a movie i can't think of any off the if top of my head uh maybe spider-man three but and I, that's not that bad to me no I mean, but that was, movie i was is, like 13 when that came out maybe emo uh spider-man yes i remember during that scene i was like oh no this is this is you 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 just go like oh god die 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 yeah (laughs) yeah. but uh yeah just i thought old was terrible in every conceivable way it has good actors but boy is it bad i just made some people have 55 million dollars so far yeah um (laughs) I will add one more. I saw, um, I saw, you know, I was talking documentaries, uh, the Sparks Brothers. I really oh, enjoyed. yeah. I haven't seen that. That that got pulled, not pulled from theaters, but it stopped playing in theaters much earlier than I anticipated. So I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Edgar Wright, director of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fives, Baby Driver, and has two films coming out this year. And Sparks, uh, last... who has a net coming out, the Leo Cracks movie. Yeah. Is out now. Um, oh, yeah. It came out Friday. Yeah. Yeah, is it on Amazon Prime already? No, I think Amazon does this sort of deal like Paramount Plus did, where it's like a month yeah. after coming out, it'll be on Amazon. Yeah, well, uh, the Sparks Brothers, I knew nothing about Sparks going into the movie. And what's interesting is that even though I knew they were real, it's so lovingly made and it's so detailed that there were a few points in the movie where I'm like, what if this is like an elaborate hoax this is like a spinal tap <laughs> it's like a, a really serious this is final tap <laughs> right because it's just uh because they're so quirky and it seems so you know it it, it but yeah it, it, it's it's a really wonderfully made document the only criticism i have is like two hours and 20 minutes yeah and it's uh there's the last 20 minutes of the movie is basically a montage of like how awesome they are i'm like okay like they're awesome you've been doing that for over two hours now like let's (laughs) wrap this up like it literally goes on like it goes on and on and on for like 20 minutes at the end and it's just playing their music basically with images it's it's like in other movies where there's like a four minute like we're wrapping up the movie like here's some footage of them at performing different concerts yeah people kind of giving their final thoughts that happens for 20 minutes (laughs) and you're like jesus we've been here two hours but that's minor criticism because it's a really lovingly made documentary and they're mm-hmm. really funny and quirky and it's interesting seeing the kind of tagline of the film is it's your favorite band's favorite band. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't know who they are, but a lot of artists that you respect, they love Sparks. Yes. They, yeah. They it's sort of like, array of I think Edgar Wright mentioned something about like, it's like the best band who's never had a documentary made about them. And Edgar Wright's, uh, well, especially Baby Driver. It's like he's very sort of uh, <laughs> like James Gunn, Music. but better than James Gunn, I think. Sort of uses the soundtrack in interesting ways. Um, so, uh, so I think uh, our main our main recommendation is that everyone see the Green Knight. Yes, and uh, I unmissable I really Zola. The Green Knight is yes. unmissable. Right, <laughs> right. So there's a number of movies we've seen uh, and. A number we've at least one of us have seen yes. i recommend not seeing old 
but uh, I do recommend <laughs> seeing The Green Knight in the theater. Stay through the end credits. Yes. And we've got a, a lot of interesting stuff coming up uh, this fall. We've got like the French Dispatch and Dune and uh, Last Night in Soho. So very exciting couple of months coming up. Usually summer movies are sort of blockbusters and then the fall and winter you get the awards fodder movies. Yeah, I'm really excited for the three films that have been announced at the New York Film Festival opening night, The Tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen's first yes. film. Uh, without his brother, Black and White, Denzel Washington, and Francis McDormand. And then the uh, centerpiece film, Jane Campion, as a film, The Power of the Dog, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirst Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Thomas and McKenzie. And then the closing film is uh, a new Pedro Almodovar film starring Penelope Cruz about mothers. So, I'm very excited for all three of those. So good stuff coming out. Uh... I think we'll probably have some more episodes in the fall when we've got uh, sort of <laughs> better movies coming out. And uh, I think hopefully we don't get too many really terrible theater experiences with all this great stuff coming out in the fall. Um, but yeah, managers, projectionists, have your film in focus. <laughs> yeah, get People your shit right. In the audience, don't don't <laughs> use your phones. But yeah, I think this has been a interesting summer. I've seen decent amount of movies on streaming um some in theaters so that, that's sort of going to be the way it is moving forward is what it seems like i think the, the pandemic has really sort of accelerated that process of stuff coming out on streaming services um that's what your your next course is going to be about basically right one of them the future of film what is going to happen with cinema yeah. what is theatrical versus streaming versus television the artistic versus business decisions there's so much there's so much up in the air so we will leave that for you to think about uh moving forward yes. uh and we will be back with you all next time thank you for listening uh see ya bye